At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. How do we fight the sin that so often wrestles against us? We're in Romans six, Paul's been answering this question for us in a, in a way that speaks to our new reality. He's been ask, answering a question that probably came up about the new reality that we live in. Paul in chapter 5 has said we are justified by faith. Being justified means being declared righteous by God. We're de- declared righteous with God by faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. And the result of that justification is that we have peace with God. The war is over. And furthermore, because of Jesus' singular act of obedience, grace now reigns in our lives. We're set free from sin and death. We are no longer in Adam in his disobedience and in his death. Now we positionally stand in Christ. We are united with Christ, and grace now reigns and abounds. But we might be tempted to think, well, how can we, how can we live without any moral code? How can there be no, no rules, no boundaries, just grace everywhere, grace abounding? And Paul is answering the question, should we just continue in sin? Should we just let sin mount up? Should we just live lives of evil and wickedness and rebellion from God so that God's grace is maximized more and more and more and more? Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And his answer at the beginning of chapter 6 has been clear. Absolutely not. No way. Because that's not where you stand. And that's not who you are. And in that answer, Paul doesn't just say no. We don't let sin abound. We, We walk in grace. We don't just follow our wicked ways. Paul doesn't just say no, but he provides strategy for us. He provides a plan or tactics for us to be able to put the fight to sin in our lives and to exert, as Carson has said, some grace-driven effort to overcome sin in our lives and and live as new people. So again, my question is, do you have a strategy, do you have a plan for fighting and dealing with sin in your own heart and in your own life? When these verses, in verses 8 through 14 this morning, I want to show us the plan Scripture lays out for us the way which we can go about dealing with and fighting sin in our own lives. How can we be people who walk as new people, who live in grace, but experience the freedom of putting death to our sin? So I want to give us three pieces of strategy this morning to help us overcome sin and to walk in newness of life. Let's look at these verses together. The first element of the strategy is simply this. It's to know that Christ has definitively defeated sin. You might want to underline the word know here. That's an important word in this passage. You want to know that Christ has definitively defeated sin. How do we walk in newness of life? How do we take up strategies for this? Here's what he says. We, We look at what Christ has done. Paul wants us to see this so that we understand our own relationship as Christians towards sin. What is the relationship that you, as a follower of Jesus, if you are in Christ this morning, what is the relationship that you have towards sin? And he wants us to see that our living flows from our thinking. He, he directs us to think about our minds. Our minds have to be renewed. And so the link is made in verse 8 with our union with Christ. He says, now, if we have died with Christ. 
And he raises the question that he, he brought up earlier. He builds on what he stated earlier, namely that as we look to Christ, as we believe in him, we are united with him. If we have died with Christ, that's our union with Jesus. We believe that in trusting Christ and putting our faith in him, every believer is spiritually, mystically, somehow supernaturally united with Christ in his death. His death is our death. His crucifixion, our crucifixion. We have died with Christ, and so his crucifixion for our sin was our crucifixion to sin. And Paul's saying that if that is true, if we have died with Christ, then what he has to say next, the results that follow are also true. Namely, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, this is really important here. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The faith, what he says here, we believe that we possess, is a faith in Christ's death and resurrection. And that his death was, and resurrection was our death and resurrection. His death, our death, his resurrection, our hope as well. When commentator John Mary puts it like this, he says, It is an article of faith, not conjecture, that the life of Jesus' resurrection belongs to those who have been united with Christ in his death. So here's what we know then. This is what he says in verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's a powerful reality here. If we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion. Now that Christ has been raised from the dead, he'll never die. Never die again. And his resurrection demonstrates that. It proves that. His resurrection wasn't a resuscitation like Lazarus being brought back to life again and yet dying again. Jesus' resurrection was a glorious resurrection. He will never die again. He has a new glorified body. He broke the chains of sin and death and he conquered those powers. Because of that, death has no more power over him. Death has no more lordship over him. Death has no more ruling over him. Christ's victory on the cross and his resurrection is a definitive defeat of sin. That's what he says in verse 10. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus' perfect sinless life, his, his active obedience and his sacrificial death was put, put sin to death and it put death in the grave. His Death was a singular, once-for-all action against sin. There's no need to repeat it. Here's what he says for it. The death he died, the sin, he died once for all. That term once for all has the meaning of once and for all, once and never again. One sacrifice for sin, never to die again. It's definitive. It's clear. Here, Jesus here Paul is declaring Jesus' death over sin He's beaten back our greatest foe. He's weakened the power of sin. They become impotent masters. And now in his resurrection glory, his life is a life to God. Now you see how you're, what Paul is saying here. He's, he's appealing to our mind. He wants to think, us to think about this. If Christ has defeated sin and death in his own death and sin, and we are in Christ, we're united with him, what does that mean for us? That sin is a beaten foe. Death is a lost cause. Jesus has defeated sin and death. And we might think, oh, okay, we're the ones who have to do the work here. 
We come to Jesus, we get saved, and now we've got to clean ourselves up. We've got to go to battle against our sin. We've got to make sure we eradicate it from our lives. But, but we need to see very carefully here, we need to realize where Paul starts in this strategy is that Christ is the one who has defeated sin and death. He's the one who has conquered the grave. That's where we must start. As, as Paul says in Colossians 2.15, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This, this reality of, of seeing and knowing that Christ has definitively defeated sin, it, it should birth and fuel worship and devotion and thanksgiving in our hearts to God. I want to point out here that this passage doesn't show us Jesus as just an example for us. Jesus went through and he blazed the trail and he defeated death and sin, and so now you can too if you follow his example. This passage shows us Jesus as the victor, Christ as the king and the victor. We have a conquering king, the Lord Jesus. He's gone before us and he's won the battle. You want to know if you can walk in new life, if you could be a new person? Believer, you have the Lord Jesus Christ himself who has gone before you, who has defeated sin and death, and you are in him. That's what the depths of what Paul is trying to communicate here for us. Christ has won the battle, and you being in Christ are part of that victory. You're part of that defeat of sin. Your Lord Jesus has cleared the battlefield in his own fight, and the war is won. It's good news for us. Where we start in our battle against sin and our fight for faith to be righteous and to be new people is to step back and to look at the glorious victory of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It's to be, as it were, spectators of his march and his triumph against Satan, sin, and death. And to know that in his victory is our victory. He's won the battle. I want to make this really clear for us this morning. Before we go on to step two or to step three of this strategy, I want us to see we cannot skip this step. We can't just jump to point number two or point number three. We have to see and to know definitively Christ has won the battle. If we, if we skip this step, what will happen is that we will always be trying to be our own saviors. We'll always be working to clean ourselves up. We'll always be trying to work in our own effort, in our own strength, to exert our own power. The reality is that sin is a power that seeks to master us. That sin is a power that seeks to master us because of our frail humanity, our, our, our sinful nature as human beings. The power of sin is like a strong gravitational pull. Humanity doesn't have the resources. We don't have the, the strength in and of ourselves to battle sin and to win. You can't be good enough. You can't be disciplined enough. You can't obey the law perfectly enough. But that shouldn't discourage you. This battle isn't a lost cause. Jesus has won the battle. He is the Savior. He has defeated sin decisively. And everyone who banks their life on him in faith, everyone who trusts in him is united to Christ. And his death is our death. His resurrection, our resurrection. His victory, our victory. So we can look at Christ as the victor and say, you've won, Jesus. You won the battle, not me, but I'm in you. And that's really good news for us, especially when we continue to sin and we fall and we struggle and we don't make as much progress as we want. Christ is the Savior. 
He is the one who cleanses us and purifies us. He is the one who has won the victory against sin. Not you. Not me. We can stop trying to be our own savior. Friend, we can cease trying to win the victory on our own because Jesus has won the victory. If you will give Jesus the glory he has as the one who has conquered Satan, sin, and death, if you depend on him alone as your savior, then you are in Christ. His victory is yours, and you can take the next step in the strategy. But friends, do not skip this step. Know, know that Christ has definitively defeated sin, and his victory is for you, so you stand as a victor because of what he has done. You are in him. It takes us to the second step here. What's the second step in our strategy? It's to consider yourself then dead to sin. Christ has definitively defeated sin. What does that mean for us? Well, this is what he says in verse 11 and 12. Paul takes on this theology of verses 8 through 10, and he applies it. Here's where it comes home for us. He gives us uh, the first command in this letter, verse 11. We finally get an imperative statement. Here's what you should do, a command. So, because we are in Christ, and Christ has definitively defeated sin, he is died to sin, he's been raised to life again, and in him we stand, so you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's the first command here, and Paul says for us in laying the groundwork of, our, of who God is and what our need is, he, he says, here's how you should live. Again, he commands our thinking. He wants our minds to be renewed, so we need to know that Christ has died to sin and been raised again, and we are in him. And then we are to consider here how we live, how, who we are. The term consider here is a legal and accounting term. It's one that, that has to do with math, if you will, and this is a simple equation. Paul here is saying, consider this. Add it up. Do the math and see what, what God has done for you. And here's the math. Here's the equation. Christ has died. He has died to sin. And he's been made alive by God in the resurrection. So you also must, here's the accounting, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Your life in Christ is not under the ledger of sin any longer. You're now un free from sin's power. You're no longer under the lordship of sin. You are now in the account or in the, in the ledger of Christ and his resurrection. You're alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when sin tempts you when, you, when you struggle to give in, when that thought runs across your mind of, of evil or malice, when you, when you think about saying those words that tear down others, or dwelling on those thoughts that are unholy, how do, how do you fight? Well, you know Christ has definitively died to sin, and, and you consider, you, you think, you, you reason in your mind, you take into account, well, what does sin have to do with me? What do I have to do with sin? I'm dead to sin, is what Paul is saying. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. When sin tempts you, ask yourself the question, am I marching in the victory of Christ? Or am, am I shackled in the chains of sin? If you're in Christ, then you are to see who you are and where you are. You are in Christ, which means you're alive to God and you're dead to sin. From this, then, comes the power for obedience. If sin is a power that seeks to master you, the question comes, who will you obey? 
Who will you obey? As you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, you're telling sin, you have no more dominion over me. You don't rule my life anymore. I don't have to obey you. I can now follow and live in Christ. But we know the truth. Sin is seductive. Isn't it, isn't it tantalizing? Doesn't sin appeal to our pleasures, to our senses? Doesn't sin promise us happiness and say, oh, you will, you'll be so glad or you'll, you'll feel so at peace. You'll be so enjoying this. Sin and its power is that gravitational pull and it's sucking us into its pit. But you're not helpless. Think about who you are. Think about where you stand. If you consider yourself dead to sin, if that's how you account things, because you are in Christ and Christ has died to sin and been raised to life again, then what real pull does sin have for, over you? What, what gravity does sin have in your life? You can look at sin's power, you can look at the temptation, and you can laugh and say, are you kidding me? No way. I don't have to obey you anymore. I, you're not my master. You're not my Lord. Think of it like this, as Paul says in Colossians 1.13. God, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. It's a way of saying we have a new address now. Being in Christ, we are no longer under the domain of darkness. We're not ruled by sin. We're not ruled by death. We are now transferred. We've been brought into a new kingdom, into a new house, the kingdom of his beloved Son. We have a new address. We don't live in sin and darkness any longer it doesn't get to boss us around. It doesn't have the right to tell us what to do or instruct how we live. I, I, I think about it this way. I think about how liberated Harry Potter was from the tyranny of his aunt and uncle once he got that invitation to come to Hogwarts. Right? He moved into the castle, and he's like, no longer has to listen to aunt and uncle. No longer under their strict and stupid rules anymore. He is free. He's got a new address. Believer, if you are in Christ, if you've trusted Christ, then, then we're in him. Sin has no dominion over us. We are to consider or count ourselves dead to sin. It doesn't get to tell us what to do. We're no longer at sin's beck and call. You don't live in the domain of darkness anymore. You live now in the kingdom of the Son. So you can say, sin is not my master. Sin is not my boss. I am dead to sin. I don't have to obey. And this is what he says in verse 12. So he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. And speaking of our mortal body here, he's speaking of what's here and now. This life, this body, our physicality, your being right here, right in front of you, and all that includes Christian, you don't have to obey sin's passions and desires. You don't have to listen to the seductive temptations. You don't have to, to hear them and go, oh, I guess I have to. I'm too weak. I don't have enough power. This is a declaration for us of who is Lord in your life. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Sin says, I want you to follow after these lusts. I want you to obey these desires. I want you to appease your sinful appetite. And counting ourselves dead to sin and alive to God means we can say, nope, not today. Not today. I want to walk in newness of life. If you are in Christ, then Christ is your Lord. You're called to obey and walk in him. Sin doesn't reign and run around and tell you what to do. 
Sin doesn't have the greater influence and voice to tell you, do this, love that, lust after these. No, no, you've died to sin in Christ. You've been raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. So account, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. We live to please God in everything. So here's our, our strategy. Here's how it's working out. We step back and we see and we know that Christ has died definitively, once for all, to sin. He put death in the ground, as it were. And his victory is our victory. And then we look at ourselves and we go, okay, where do I stand? What, what address do I live at now? I live in Christ. Sin isn't my master anymore, so I can tell it no. I can tell it to take a hike. I can, I can refuse the temptation. And the third part of the strategy is then a movement towards God. Our third step, we present ourselves to God. Now, here's another imperative in verse 13 for us. This time it starts in the negative. As we present ourselves to God, Paul says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. When Paul speaks about our members, he's talking about what consists of our bodies. Okay, he's, he's speaking about our eyes, our ears, our mouths, our lips, our, our hands, our tongue, our feet, our minds, our bodies, all of us, our physicality here. And, and, he, and he's saying, do not present, or the idea is to not put yourself at someone else's disposal. So don't show up on sin's doorstep is maybe a way of thinking about it. Don't present yourself as instruments of unrighteousness. And this term here that Paul uses for instruments, I think he has a double meaning behind it. It's a two-edged sword. The, the, the Greek term here, hoplon, it can describe a weapon or a tool. And oftentimes that's the same sort of thing. The way you use a knife can be a weapon against something or it can be a tool to help you with something else. When speaking about presenting our members as instruments or tools or weapon to unrighteousness, I think the idea is that of a weapon. It, it's something to destroy. A weapon maims. It kills. So Paul has a negative sense here. He says, don't make your, the instruments of your body, of this mortal body, don't present your members to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. Your eyes, and your hands, your tongue, your feet. Don't make them weapons don't present yourself available. Show up on the doorstep saying, hey, I'm ready to be used by sin as a means of destruction, destroying others, tearing down, hurting, inflicting pain, rebelling against God. That's the negative here. We don't go that way. We don't present our, our bodies to sin saying, hey, use me as a weapon. But he says, here's the positive, present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now let me just start here with where he says to present ourselves, to show up on the doorstep of, of God himself. Walking in newness of life means turning from sin. It means putting to death our sin, but it, the power for that is showing up to God and presenting ourselves to him and saying, Lord, I'm yours. Take me. Make me, make me yours. Use me. Change me. Paul says to do this in two ways. First of all, present yourself to God as someone who has been brought from death to life. He says here, consider that you were dead, that you were under the dominion of sin and death, and yet by the grace of God, you've been made alive again, that Jesus came and he, and he lived the perfect 
sinless life that you did not, that he obeyed and he won righteousness for you. And consider that Jesus came and he died in your place for your sins. That he suffered the death that you and I deserve. He suffered that death on the cross as our sacrifice. And consider again that Jesus was raised to life again for your sake so that you would be declared righteous, so that we would be justified in him. We are in Christ. And so being in him, you have been raised, you are alive. And so Paul says here, present yourself to God as someone who has been brought from death to life. In light of what God has done for you, put yourself at his disposal. Be ready to be his servant. You are his servant. You are freed from sin. You can live for him. I mean, this is the essence of what true worship in all of life looks like. Presenting ourselves to God in gratitude for all that he has done for us. We deserve death and hell. We deserve nothing good. And Christ has rescued us fully and completely. And so we come to God with all that we are and we say, I'm yours. Thank you. You, You've given me so much life. You've given me everything I'm yours. Present yourselves. Present your members to God as ones who have been brought from death to life. And he goes on to say, here's another way we present ourselves to God. Your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, here's the other idea of that word hoplon. Again, that word instrument. Not a weapon to destroy, but a tool to make a masterpiece. The positive here is to give yourself to God in your body to righteousness. Your mouth becomes a tool of righteousness by saying and building up others, by speaking truth in love, by giving words of encouragement and care, building others up. Your hands become a tool to serve, to bless, to build, to care, and to serve in compassion for others. Our our minds our minds, which we often use to ponder silly and weighty or weightless things, are now given over to God to pursue His glory, to think about His great and eternal things. Our, our minds are now used to explore the natural world and, and draw out things that will promote the common good and glorify God in every way. We use our minds by God's grace. We present our minds to God to create masterpieces of wisdom, art, insight, and beauty for the glory of God. Our bodies, our physicality, our lives are presented to God as a means for him to do something to glorify himself in this world. Not just using our bodies, our hands, our feet, our eyes, whatever and all that we have to serve ourselves and to make this earthly temple something great to lay ourselves down and to give ourselves to him so that he might be delighted. He might glorify himself. What Paul's saying here, I love this picture, is is that we are to present ourselves to God as this tool, like a a paintbrush in the hands of a master artist or a chisel in the hand of a master carpenter to let God make a masterpiece of our lives for his glory, to take our lives and to display truth and beauty, and goodness in this world for his name's sake. That's how we fight sin. Say, Lord, I'm yours. So use all that I have, use every bit of me for righteousness' sake, to build up, to declare your greatness. Isn't that a beautiful life? Here's the assurance of all this in verse 14. 
For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Here's a matter of our position and our security in God. In Christ, you are under grace. That's good news. You can live in assurance of God's love and undeserved kindness towards you. You're not under law. The law isn't your master. The law can't help you. He says, therefore, sin will have no final victory or dominion. We're freed. Freed to give ourselves to God as his servants. Free to make progress, to be his new creatures, to live and to grow in him. He has assured us of that and guaranteed our good because we are in Christ. We're under his grace. I love how Paul's strategy here for fighting our sin begins and ends. It comes full circle with the victory of Christ. If you're in Christ, you're in a whole new realm now. You're in a whole new world, and the world of this kingdom, the the way of this world is utterly different than the way of the world. You and I are called, we get to live as children under his grace, rejecting sin as his children, putting death to death the deeds of the body and, and living for righteousness. We get to present ourselves to God as tools for righteousness sake, instruments in our Redeemer's hand. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, when sin brings its magnetic power to draw you in, to make you obey, do you have a strategy to defeat it? I want you to see that by being united in Christ, we can know that Christ has definitively defeated death. We can consider ourselves dead to sin. And now, because of what Christ has done, we we present ourselves to God as tools for him to use for his glory So when you're assailed with temptation, when you feel so weak, look to Christ, see what he has done, consider yourself and where you are in Christ, you're dead to sin, and by God's grace, give yourself to him. Say in that moment of temptation, Lord, I am yours now, please use me for your glory. Puritan pastor John Owen, he put it like this, do you mortify your sin or put it to death? Do you make it your daily work? It's a way of saying, do you have a strategy at it? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. You're being dead with Christ in union with him and you're being made alive with him will not excuse you from this work. So let's go and take up the strategy. We are in Christ. The victory is secured. Let's present ourselves to him in God. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the victory that you have won for us over Satan and sin and death. Sin no longer has dominion over those who are in Christ. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that we would, uh, Lord, we would not be lazy, that we would not be complacent, that we would not step back and that we would step forward and we would present ourselves to you. In light of the victory of Christ, Lord, might we take up the call to live as your children, to display you and to glorify you in all things. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. Take us and use us and magnify your name. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we ask this. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.